Hey guys, good evening. Thanks for coming again for another uh, Bethel Radio Hour. Um, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath to start. If you were here last week, you know that we were talking about in John chapter 5 how Jesus healed um, the man at the fountains of Bethesda and <gasps> it was on the Sabbath. So that was a big deal and I was like, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about that next week. Um, so if you're here, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. Um, just discussing the Sabbath in general. Um, I'm going to be honest, it's not a topic I've spent a great deal of time studying or really thinking about and not giving maybe it's, a, it's due credit. Um, but starting in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Um, and the first obvious question I had was, did, did God really need to rest? Was he tired? Did it wear him out? Did he, did he really need rest from the actual work? Well, the answer is no, uh, because he's all-powerful. And if he's all-powerful, then he doesn't ever need to rest. He, I, in my humble opinion, he did it because... You know, just like his six days of creation were good, it was also good to rest on that seventh day. And he, you know, there was never a surprise in the creation experience. And there was, there's never been a surprise, if you will, to God because he knows all things. And so, the, in my opinion, the Sabbath, the day of rest, that's literally what the word Sabbath means, was put there for us. He, he did this knowing that he was going to make it a part of the Ten Commandments. He did it knowing that he wanted us to give one out of seven to him and as such. What do you guys think? Same here. It was, a, it was an example and a, a prototype for our typical week. Um, it, it, somebody pointed out, one of the re people I read pointed out this was before the Mosaic Law. Correct. It wasn't, it wasn't given as law. It was given as an example. Um, and then the Mosaic Law set it into law. Because it's important. Right. important. It's not all about work. Yeah, and the point was really that it didn't say he was tired. It just said he stopped working, just right. rested. He just didn't work. It wasn't like, oh, that creation tired him out and he needed Wore to rest. It was just that he just stopped working. I, and I think the word there is complete. He, he completed what he set off to do, so, so he rested. And, and I, I think that's also important, you know, for, for us in our work. You know, we, <laughs> we need to get something done. <laughs> I can't speak for you, but that's one of my biggest challenges. I, I, I'll spend, you know, how many ever hours over in that office and walk away thinking, I don't know, I got anything what done. You know, and I'm not talking about fiddling my thumbs and 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 daydreaming. I'm saying I've 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 worked, uh, but but it's difficult sometimes to to turn your work into tasks and then completing those tasks. So it says here too, and I heard some commentary on this that and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So the first time we hear made it holy. Set it apart. Set it apart. Yep. Even That's elevated. what the word holy means. Yeah, That's set right. apart and not just set apart but elevated. Right. Um, uh, the, the word also is consecrated, and that would, that would go with elevate. Um, he, he consecrated that day for him. This, this is my day. And so when we came along, it was this is my day with you. And it was a... Wasn't it also a mark of being his by observing that day? No doubt. Uh, well, something that's why Isaiah it became reminded. a command. Yeah. And keep this day holy, and if you keep it holy, it's my identity with you. Part of the identity you have with me is observing this day as a day of rest. So obviously it becomes important because fast forward into Exodus chapter 20, um, here it is in the Ten Commandments. And it's not even like last on the Ten Commandments. Mm. It's near the top. And I'm not saying like one is more important than the other, but it seems like if you mention it near the front, I mean, this is before murder, adultery, stealing, false testimony. I mean, this is, this is up there. Yeah. Um, so Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall not... Uh, do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gate. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, and we hear it again, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in the start, when we're looking at the Old Testament, what did God have in mind with the Sabbath? A day of rest. Simply that. Yep, a day of rest. And um, the word preeminent comes to mind, that God wants to be preeminent in our lives. You know, too many times for Christians, it's just lip service. But God truly does want to be first place in your life, in every area of your life. And, you know, we talk about a, a tenth of our pay goes to the Lord. And that should come out first. He's preeminent. Well, on our schedule, one day out of seven goes to him. And that's the first day, Sunday. He's preeminent. Well, and uh, also it, a rest from the curse. Because before the fall of Adam and Eve, we didn't have to labor to provide for ourselves. So mm -hmm. could that not be, in essence, a way, too, to just get back to basics, you know? I had heard that um, as well, kind of preparing for this, how it was a reminder of the fall. That there was this time where you did have rest all the time. And then there was the fall of man. And it's also a reminder that we fell. And because of this, we work every other day and then only get right. one. Well, and so let's make the distinction. That because I, 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 would, I would not use the word labor. Because Adam and Eve did labor in the garden. God instituted work before the fall. Work became difficult after the fall. Right. And, and, and so, and again. I, by the sweat of your brow. By the sweat yeah. of your brow, right. And, and that's probably how you meant the word labor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I would want to make the distinction that it wasn't bonbons and, and you know, Eve with the, like you know. The the, all right, right, right. It, it wasn't that. Is that what she did, you think? Uh, well, sure. <laughs> but it was like big old grapes. Like yeah. Uh, yeah. You bet. <laughs> you bet. Uh, palm branches was what I was trying to remember, but my memory wouldn't serve me. Um, so anyway, I, but yes, I absolutely agree with that. that, that because, you know, what, what is this day of rest for? The day of rest is for worship and it's for reflection. And certainly in worship and reflection, we're going to think about the fact that, you know, we ain't got it so good anymore. But God is good. And so he's, he's going to get us through our challenges for the week to come, so on and so forth. So I had posed some questions to the panel in preparing for this. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure of the answers, so I'm interested to see what Ben has to say. Um, what should the Sabbath look like today? Um, are we actually observing the Sabbath like we should? Are we sinning if we don't? What, what should it look like today? That was the Old Testament. What should it look like now? So uh, it, it's no longer the seventh day. Because in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday. And so God worked Sunday through Friday, and he rested on Saturday. And um, so all through the Old Testament, the Jews, Israelites, they did their worship in their synagogues on Saturday. You may or may not be aware that there is still a group called the Seventh-day Adventist, and they still practice that. And Orthodox Jews. And Orthodox Jews, absolutely. Uh, and I don't know if Muslims do or not. Do Muslims? Uh, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that either. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because, the, you know, the, the Muslims and Israel's history are pretty, I mean, they're just right there neck and neck. So there are a lot of similarities in their quote-unquote religions. Uh, but anyway, once Jesus rose from the dead uh, on Sunday, per the uh, New Testament uh, record, then that is when the Christians started worshiping. And, and we basically say that this is now the Sabbath. And um, what, what I've always been told growing up and then in Bible college and the such is that, no, and we're going to get in this in the second topic mm -hmm. as far as Correct. all the details attached with the Old Testament Sabbath. But, but no, you and I are not under the letter of the law because it was changed through the New Testament. The Old Testament was the law. The New Testament is grace. And, and even though we have liberty, we don't have license. I can't do whatever I want, contrary to some popular belief. And so said that to say this, 
that Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to complete it. So I do believe that Jesus still wants you and I to observe one day a week in a worship response to him. Now, we could sit here and argue, so does that mean that if you come to a one-hour service, quote, unquote, you've, you know, you, you've done your due, you check that off the box and go? Well, I, you all have heard me preach. I, I don't think that's what it means. I, I believe that if you're just coming or going to any church just to check it off your box, just so you can say, okay, God, I'm keeping your Sabbath, you're back to the letter of the law. Uh, I believe you need to go, whatever church you go to, you need to go with an absolute joyful heart, prepared to worship, going to get fed, however you want to say it. And, and it is a genuine desire to meet with God. And I do believe that that entire day needs to have the idea that this is God's day. And so if God allows me to go shopping on this day, I'm going to do that. If he doesn't, I'm going to obey him. If he wants me, I want to tell you, there's very few, Gavin can tell you, there's very few Sundays of the world I do not get a nap because it is a ditto. day of, ditto, <laughs> it is a day of rest. I desperately need it, so on and so forth. Um, and that started back with Dwayne and Betty. Dwayne and Betty, my mom and dad, they would take a nap. And they would make us as boys do something other than, in other words, we either had to sit or we had to lie in our bed. We couldn't go play. We couldn't, nothing. We had to rest. And it was torture as a 16-year-old kid. Torture. But now it's heaven. I remember. I have the same story. My parents always napped on Sunday afternoon. And I can remember as a kid putting on my Christmas wish list, I want a friend on Sunday afternoon <laughs> because I'd be so bored because they did. They didn't care if we kept the you know house on fire. They were taking a nap. So and be it, quiet. Leave me alone. Go play right. somewhere. Whatever. And I was always so bored on Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because as a kid, I mean, you just sit there. Uh, I remember the first church I went to to fill in when I was a, a young preacher at college. Their whole youth group boys were out there playing ball Sunday afternoon. I'm like. <gasps> I didn't know you could do that. What the what? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, a whole new world I'm opened up to free. me. You know? And, and, and honestly, I mean, I really did kind of buy into that. Oh, okay. All right. I, I can do what I want to do on Sundays. And, and But then the deeper I got into the Word and the deeper I got into the ministry and such, I had to revisit it, you know? And, and, and let me say this, please, in case you're out there thinking, well, that's legalism. You've got to work through that. I'm not telling you that you must take a nap. I'm telling you that's what God has led me to. And, and you know, for me, I go to church in the morning. I go to church in the evening. Uh, and, and, yes, I mean, in a very real way, I work on Sunday. But I, obviously God understands that because he called me to it. But the point is, is that my Sundays are relegated to God. And on some level, I believe every Christian has to wrestle with that and determine what does God expect of you. And, and, you know, anybody that seriously wants to please God, that's not a threatening statement in my home. And, and let me say this. You know, we got all sorts of hunters here. Hunt on Sunday if you feel led and allowed to do that. This preacher does not. I, I've never felt allowed to do that. But I believe that's a special case. I mean, I, I need to be here on Sunday. And, you know, imagine what a mess I'd be in. I shoot a deer at 7 a.m. in the morning, and i got to be here at 8.20. You know, well, I, I know how things work. They, they, it's not all cut and dried. You go get your deer and go to the cooler. That's not always how it works. Sometimes you're chasing that deer for three hours and such of that nature. And so it, it just never has been anything God has allowed me to let myself do. But I don't put a guilt trip on anyone else that says, no, I'm I'm because I have guys, I say I, we have people showing up in camo. I love that. I absolutely love that. And uh, I'll tell you funny real quick, and, and of course you can tell this is something I love to talk about. Uh, Tim Hutchison had killed two turkeys on a Sunday morning, opening day of turkey season. Two nice gobblers, him and his wife. And he was bragging about it in a good way, showing people. Tim Davis went out and took one of those birds and put it in his truck. <laughs> <laughs> so after church, when he went out there to show somebody, he's only got one bird. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
in so, church. In church. church. That's, That's right. That's right. So anyway. Well, to bring it full circle, God made the Sabbath because does he or does he not know what's best for us all the time? He does. And does he or does he not know that we need rest? Um, I've recently been accused, rightfully so, of being all gas pedal, no brake. And, and now I'm listening to this thinking, man, if I could have just been observing the Sabbath for like literally my entire life here, or at least since adulthood when you really do need right. the rest, what a difference that makes in the rest of your week. Well, and I'd like to double back, though, on, on the first day he created, saw that it yeah. was good. Second day, God does not operate on time. He's timeless. He's eternal. So he created and it was done. He made the distinction of day one, day two, day three. And that's absolutely just a blueprint on how we're supposed to live. You know, the, our children in their smallest infancy, they're watching us, you know, and if we're jumping off the porch, by the time they're one, they're jumping off the porch. They're going to do what we do. And I think that's one of the big distinctions is he's showing us. No doubt. Exactly. Let me say this real quick because uh, I wrote it down. It's, it's, uh, I want you to hear it. Um, the, uh, he is your rest, and, he, and your best rest is in him. And that goes along with what you said. He is your first thought for the week. He gets the first say on your schedule for the week. He gets to evaluate the last six days. He is your priority. This is your opportunity to center once again. And, and I, I hope, because I've, I've used that term before, when I'm starting to get out of whack, I need to center. I need to come back in the center and say, okay, God, where, where am I out of line? You know, and, and he does. He, he centers me. And then this, God is rest. God mm-hmm. is rest. When you and God are completely good, you know, you never, you, and, and we talked Sunday, you're never going to get sinless, but you can get to a place where you are spiritually mature. You're rested because God is rest. That's good. We'll take a break there can, before our next can, topic. Can I throw, throw a note on that, too? I, I just feel like yep. the heathen of the crowd 40 here. 40 seconds here. My, my uh, Sunday afternoons when I was a kid was in rapt awe at Wrestling of the Chase. Me and my brothers <laughs> watched on the floor watching Wrestling of the Chase. So I was really heavily influenced by Bill Gothard when I was young and impressionable, starting my own family. He influenced my, my views on the Sabbath, and he is very strict about Very about strict. The, um, observing the Lord's Day, honoring it. And the passage of scripture, scripture that I was looking for a while ago uh, was a quote from uh, one of the online sages, Ezekiel twenty twelve. It says, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them and they, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So here's, that was the passage of scripture that he gave as a, a sign. So the, so Observing the Lord's Day is similar to that for us. As Christians, we observe the Lord's Day because we honor Him and identify with Him. And His work gives us rest. We rest in His work. Um, the work that He did was complete. So Hebrews 4 is the passage that talks about us entering into Christ's rest. He is the Sabbath for us. There's another um, line of thinking that says that the Sabbath was also foretelling of a, of a rest to come, and that being Jesus. And what, my, uh, what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. If you give God one day of seven, you can pretty well guarantee your kids to some level are going to honor that. If you check it off the list and move on and do what you want to do on Sundays, your kids may not at all mess with church. And, and I'm not saying that as a threat. I'm saying we all know that what my, leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. All right, so we'll take a break right here and do I'm Just Saying. Uh, did anybody come with an I'm Just Saying tonight? I hope so. I had one. It's right along with the, the uh, several mentioned. I read this one. <laughs> I've napped three times. I should be week. good. Uh, Tara, I shouldn't be seeing Na- you at work anytime na- soon. I'm napping twice a week could be a key to a healthy heart. That has got to be true. I am it's not sure if I take naps or if they take me yet. I'm still <laughs> not really sure where that is. Sometimes it just, I wake up, what happened there? <laughs> oh, man. See, I don't nap, and I'm seeing all kinds of problems with it <laughs> as we speak. I think I'll just start. Might start this Sunday. Yeah, man. Um, mine was, I was trying to pull up the images. I couldn't get it. But uh, I'm all about um, ancient archaeology. 
and they just unearthed, they call it the burnt church on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They say it burned in 700 AD and the roof collapsed over a mosaic. Well, they discovered in 2015 this church and they just finished it and it's a mosaic of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so, you know, we're getting dangerously close to having, you know, the world's view. Proof. You know, it's 700 years after Jesus, but that's when this church burned. Right. You know, who knows how old they haven't discovered, but it's like, you know, we're, we're knocking on the doorstep of finding Pilate's ring and stuff like that. So the world's going to have a hard time denying. They had it for a second. Did he have it for a second? And it is a neat mosaic, too. There there it is. Right there. But this is the question. Was that the backdrop of their baptismal pool? (laughs) (laughs) A tile? I'm kidding. That was the showers. That's right. That's right. But, uh, yeah, they just keep finding stuff, you know, day after day. Science is catching up with the Bible all the time. You say it literally constantly. You could literally buy a piece of ground anywhere in that part of the country and dig and find something. It sounds like there's no doubt. Ruins everywhere. Ben? Well, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one. Here we go. I'm just saying, a shocking collar for dogs is very satisfying. Oh, <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> we need that bell for all Yeah. Get, get free. I used get it free one night. I used it one night and haven't had to use it since. I took it off of her. So it's... It's all good, but here's my story. Poor dog. The fella, I bought it. The fella told me, it's very, it's very good. You shouldn't have to go above three. Shouldn't have to go above three. So I put it on the dog. I walk away. I'm waiting because this dog will literally bark all night. And for this big of a dog, it's got the roar of a lion. I mean, it'll wake up the neighbor. So I dare say your neighbors are thinking the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, thank so, goodness for that. I, when she starts barking, I hit it at one, nothing. I hit it at two, nothing. I mean, she's just going 90 to nothing. I hit it at three, nothing. So I won't tell you what number I got to. <laughs> but you got a response. You know, like the sleep number bed. My dog's magic number is 14. <laughs> she finally went, and I thought, okay, praise God, we've communicated. And that was it. That, that was it. I'm telling you, they, they work. They truly, truly work. And 90% of the time, all you have to do is show them the remote. Yeah, yeah from that <laughs> point forward. But mine does have like a warning beep. So he's learned I can beep him, and he'll yeah. usually snap to it. It's called a bump. <laughs> yeah. You bump him. Yeah, right. Now, so send all your complaints to. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't have it. I'm just saying, I'm just going to tell a quick story because I won't say who it is a family in this church. And the mom told me that when her sons were younger, they had shot collars for their dogs. I know who you're talking about. And they would put <laughs> yeah, I know, I do too. They would put the shot collars on themselves Kids. around their necks and play football. And if one of them threw the football out of the range of the shot collar, they it was like a game. And the, they thought it was great. I do not recommend that. That is a terrible idea. I'm just telling a story. Somebody in the church told me. That sounds Wait. small town stupid. <laughs> yeah, I'm still it's working real. on that T-shirt. It's still small, small town yeah, stupid. Totally is. I, I will say this. It was probably on the Sabbath. Their parents were napping and they were bored. <laughs> you know how Johnny uh, Sykes will tell you that when those tasers first come out, every policeman was asked by the lawyers, try it on yourself first. So just about everybody did type thing. And so when I got that first barking collar, I tried it on myself. And it does not hurt that bad. But it does get your attention, you know. And so uh, I found that collar and I was trying to use it and so I'm in the kitchen going ah, 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 trying to get it to shock me and it never shocked me it's because I had the batteries in upside down <laughs> small town small stupid, stupid. Yep. all right we better move on all right um so we're going to be reading eventually here in Matthew chapter excuse me Mark chapter 2 verse 23 um I'm going to set this up here just for a moment um so last year we talked about Jesus showed his authority over uh, creation he turned water into wine created 
you know, something that wasn't there. He so his power over creation, um, he showed his power over disease. He healed people of all kinds of diseases. We've already seen that so far, um, and we're only into the second year of his ministry. Um, he showed his power over demons. He cast demons out of people. Um, he showed his power over sin um, just in the beginning of Mark chapter 2 where he healed a paralytic and he told them your sins are forgiven. Um, he showed that he has the authority to forgive sin. So tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath, which may not seem like that big of a deal compared to, um, you know, casting out demons and healing and um, changing water into wine. And But this was a really big deal. Why is declaring himself Lord of the Sabbath such a, quote, big deal in, in this situation? Well, to be Lord of the Sabbath, you've got to be God. Exactly. He's claiming to be God. He's, he's claiming saying, to be God. I'm God. And he's either God or he's crazy. Right. But you, you can't just make that claim and not back it up, which the very fact that he did all these miracles right. to that point was already enough to say, like, right. yep, he is he, God. He did too much of that for them to be able to prove that he's crazy. And so that's why he was so dangerous. Uh, he, he, he was... And, and well, I'm not going to make that comparison. I'll just say this, that... There is no way to overstate the outlandishness of what he was saying to the scribes and Pharisees. Right. Now, everybody else was kind of like, you know, he's talking some sense, you know, but, but right. because it was such a threat to their way of life, it, it, you know, well, and, uh, the uh, sky's red. A plug for Lee, Lee Strobel. Um, he wrote a book, The Case for Christianity, and using today's liberal science methods of, you know, of brain problems and trauma and that, he breaks it down to Jesus was either a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. Right. And there was, you can debunk all those things that he was clear of mind and all of that. So the only reasonable thing is he was Lord. That's right. Yeah. So we have to talk for a little bit of, um, we started with discussing what God intended the Sabbath to be to show you what it had become by the time Jesus is hitting the scene here because God set it up to be for man, and it had become something that God didn't intend it to be. Um, and we're going to discuss that starting back last week in John chapter 5, when Jesus healed the man at the fountain of Bethesda, and he had said he'd been there for 38 years. He heals him. He says, take up your mat and walk. And what's the first thing that the Jewish leaders of the day said? Can't do that. You can't, can't carry that. your mat. They're it's totally, work. yeah, that's work. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. You can't carry your mat. And, I mean, no kindness. No, uh, they were just full of, there's no compassion. There's Forget no love. Forget the fact love. that this They're, guy just been healed. Right. It was Life all about changed. the. You're breaking the rules. It's the Sabbath. And this, so Jesus saying he was Lord of the Sabbath was attacking the Jewish leaders at their most sensitive point. Like, this was the battlefield they would die on. Right. They had taken what God intended to be a good restful thing and turned it into like multiple I mean I'll, just to give you an yeah. example and what I studied is there is a Talmud which there's 24 chapters it said in the Talmud on just Sabbath laws they had created 24 chapters of laws to observe on the Sabbath and so this was like the pentacle of their religion is how well how good you were quote unquote was how well you could observe the Sabbath. Um, here's some of the things I came across. And by the way, I heard John MacArthur, I got this from him, of course. Um, he said that there was one rabbi that was said to have studied one chapter of the Talmud, and it took him two and a half years to study one chapter of Sabbath law. And there's 24 chapters. So it was things like you couldn't take more than 1,999 steps. If you took 2,000 steps, that was You're violation working. of the Sabbath. Uh, you couldn't uh, take a bath. If you did and water came off of you and got on the floor and accidentally washed the floor, then you're violating the Sabbath. You couldn't carry something heavier than a dry fig. If you're a scribe, you couldn't carry a pen. If you're a tailor, you couldn't carry a needle. You couldn't buy anything. You couldn't sell anything. You couldn't cook anything. You couldn't light a candle. You couldn't put out a candle if it was still lit. Um, you couldn't, let's see, you couldn't uh, examine your clothing lest you accidentally find a flea and are tempted to kill it. 
You can't wear jewelry because it weighs more than a fig. Um, you can't tie a knot. You can't untie a knot. I mean, it just went on and on Couldn't and on. Couldn't spit on the ground, I think, was one of them because you'd be making mud. You use mud to make bricks. You could, yeah. things like you that. You couldn't, like, say. toss the ball up in one hand and catch it in the other hand, but you could. <laughs> I mean, it was just stuff that was, it became silly. Right. It, do you have more? There's there's so well, many. I mean, you. I, just that this had become a ritualistic, negative, rule-laden shadow of what God originally intended. The day was no longer a day to worship God and to center, but to carry out a list of rules so as to gain God's favor, or worse, to strike it off the list so as not to be punished. And, you know, these guys really believed that they were going to go to heaven by keeping all of the, it, it was, was called rabbinical tradition. completely a self-righteous system. It right. was um, unscriptural, it was ungodly, it was unkind, it was wicked, and it was oppressive to just lay it out there. That's what their system had become. And, and you know how hypocritical these guys were. I can see in my mind's eyes, some of them, they got a candle that they forgot to blow out the night before. So it's the Sabbath. Well, they got 1,999 steps, right? So they walk by it fast enough to blow it out. <laughs> but they're counting the whole time. <laughs> yeah, did they have their Fitbits? I'm wondering. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> so, um, and again, John MacArthur had said, Matthew chapter 11, 28, when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was talking about this Jewish system because it was oppressive to the people. They constantly could never get free of a guilty conscience. They had all these heavy rules put on them, of which the Jewish leaders, you know, weren't keeping all they these were rules. They were not. And they knew it. Hypocrite. They weren't keeping them, Hypocrite. and they knew it. But they didn't care because they were, you know, the ones upholding Masters of the, the Sabbath. Law. So it was completely based on works and achievement and self-righteousness and merit and what you could attain. And it was the absolute focal point of their, right. so the Sabbath day. So for Jesus to hit the scene and take on the Sabbath was scandalous. It was an he absolute He liberated scandal. the Sabbath again with that statement. And the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. It was like planting a flag in the middle of their territory, right. take, taking their flag down and planting his right. back on the Sabbath. So then last week we talked about Jesus on the Sabbath. He was in Jerusalem for a festival. He heals this man on the Sabbath. You know, we talked about this, that they were at this point watching Jesus. Right. They asked the man who told you to take up your bed and walk like they didn't know. Right. And so, you know, he does this on the Sabbath. And so Jesus now returns to Galilee. Most likely the news of what he had done beat him to Galilee, like it oh, sure. probably got there before he did. Um, and so now we're picking up, and this is going to be Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing this unlawful thing on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, and he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. <gasps> right. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so essentially, I mean, can you just see it? Like they're following Jesus. They're, they're on him they are following him yeah and so if how do jesus, they know that they're if eating jesus corn, took 2005 steps getting close to did they not here. take the 2005 steps following you know they did but what do they say to him they're jesus and his disciples are hungry and it's important to note that it sounds like are they stealing they're walking through a grain field and grabbing grain as they pass through that was a lawful thing that they apparently um it was part of the culture that if yeah. you were you could kind of take some grain and They'd rub it in their hands and, you know, I guess get the, the inside, the meat right. part of it, if you will, and eat that. Well, and th this could have been because uh, it was Jewish law and, and tradition and custom to not glean to the edges. And so if this was part of what was left, then it would be lawful for someone in their condition. I mean, th these men were homeless. And hungry. And hungry. They weren't like, you know, harvesting it. They weren't taking, right. they you know. took what they needed. Uh, and so it, it, it was certainly lawful what they did. Um, and, and, it, and it did, you know, it, it broke the rabbi's traditional law. It didn't break God's law 
for the Sabbath Correct. situation. And that was an important point I was trying right. to make. Like, they weren't breaking anything that God hadn't right. said was okay to do. Jesus didn't sin. Right. If Jesus would have broke God's law, he would have sinned. And so you know, what he did was it was within the confines, if you will, uh, the spirit of the law. Um, and again, because, you know, and I guess you can, what would the word be, uh, get to uh, ticky-tack things. As far as I'm concerned, when, when Jesus showed up, that now we're into the age of grace. I think technically it's not until he dies, you know what I'm saying, and, and resurrects that we're into the age of grace. But, but Jesus certainly brought out the differences of what man had made out of his laws and what God originally intended. And so just by them taking this grain, rubbing it in their hands, eating part of it, and dropping the rest, they're saying he, they were guilty of reaping, threshing, sifting, winnowing, grinding, and preparing food. So they had broken Every, all these yeah. laws. And Jesus essentially is having them choose between grace and their legalistic right. system. And I think we can all figure what, what their choice was. No, well, no doubt. <laughs> because within their system, they were wealthy. Within their system, they were the leaders. Within their system, they were in control. I mean, they, they were They were basically, not wanting to let go of no, it. Oh, goodness, no. There were some, after the, the church got going, there were some, several actually, meetings of the church elders to decide what rules were given for Israel, what rules were appropriate for the church to continue, and one of those was circumcision. They had a meeting over circumcision. Should we force this on new believers? And it was determined at that point that some things were only for the Jews, some things were for the church, and I think we're... we're this Sabbath versus uh, the Lord's Day is one of those things that developed out of that. Um, but like, like she's saying, the, the, all of those rules got left behind, uh, and Jesus was basically making that line in the sand here. I wrote in my notes that this is worse than choruses instead of hymns. <laughs> <laughs> but, and even though it was so much more you know, volatile, uh, a lot of churches have struggled with that, you know, and, and it, it's been a, a game changer and it's been a church splitter and things. That, well, you know, for, for, for the scribes and Pharisees, for Jesus to say that basically, you know, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You come to me on what to do on the Sabbath. They're like, well, <laughs> nah. Sorry, well, bud. And then, too, you can see here, um, they're hungry. Yeah. Like, it was a simple thing, and the Pharisees want to know why, they're, why are you threatening our system, and they were simply wanting to eat. There's, again, no compassion, no mercy. They're just brutal, cruel people. They just don't even care that they could starve or they could just pick some grain and pop it in their mouth, but they're more worried about the fact that it was their, their day, not God's day at all. Um, and Jesus responded, and I totally love this, have you never read? Did that not make them just furious? Like, right. of course we've read. We are the leaders of the day. Like, we Probably are the law. the only law. people who could read at that time was the scribes right. and Pharisees. Well, and, and, and the only reason that the word of God was there was because of them. Right. They were the ones that wrote it. The, yeah. I mean, they, they had a whole system. Uh, and and sometimes you can Google it, and it's just amazing. But uh, they would, it, it was quite the, what would the word be? It was a sacrificial life for some of these scribes that that's all they did was write the Word of God. And uh, what they would do, I mean, because I guess you could say in this particular area, you have to kind of tip your hat to them because how they went about it, uh, I'll just tell you this one thing. They would never write the name of God until they got so far in. And then they would take one day and then the scribe would come in and he would take a ceremonial bath. And he would take a, a brand new feather pen, brand new eek, and he would go through and fill in Elohim and God all through those pages. And afterwards, he would throw the pen away because once you wrote the name of God, everything else is not worthy. I mean, it's good stuff. You know, that's good. And they would, he would take a ceremonial bath again and, and, and go about his day. Uh, so, so. You can't say that they weren't serious about God's word, but that's how blinded they were through all these rabbinical traditions because remember, there's been 400 years since God has spoke to them. You know, God's ended with Malachi 
And then Jesus came 400 years later. And in those 400 years, they really ran from what they God ever added and added and added. And so added. real quick, we'll dive into what Jesus does say to them and the example he gives about David. And what he's saying here is uh, David is on the run, essentially. And Gavin, you could probably um, paint this picture a little bit better for me. But David was the rightful and chosen king, but he was on the run right now for his life. And the people that are with him, they go to the temple because simply they're hungry. And they would set out 12 loaves of fresh bread, and that would stay for a week, and then the next week they'd bring in 12 more. And there's a lot of symbolism in there that we won't dive into right now. But essentially, that bread was set apart, holy bread, and then the only people that ate it would have been the priest. And so he's saying, did not David eat that bread, that symbolic, that very important bread that was only meant for the priest? And, and the priest here in the Old Testament allowed them to eat it because they were starving. That priest recognized we've got starving people and life is more important than this symbolic bread here. We choose life over right. this symbolic bread. So, yes, please eat. The letter and, of the law is not <coughs> as important as the life of these men. Yep. And he's saying, like, well, look, I mean, we're just picking some grain lawfully from a field, and that's not nearly as bad as David, my gosh, ate the symbolic bread out of the temple. I mean, Haven't you ah. read? Yeah. And so <laughs> he's making that point. And then this is the mind-blowing thing. And, man, I don't want to mess this up because this was, like, my moment of, oh, my gosh, when I heard this. So here's David. The exiled king, um, he was the rightful and chosen king in exile. Anointed. Uh, yes. And if he was on the throne as he should have been and not rejected, he wouldn't have needed to eat that bread to survive. Just like in this story, if Jesus wasn't rejected by his nation, if they would have received him as king as he should have been, he wouldn't have been passing through the grain field like a poor traveler and right. even eating that grain. But he was rejected. No doubt. Awesome symbol. I was like, yeah. that, was my, that was my drop the mic <laughs> moment this week when I was studying this. So, Well, and, and so, so think about that. In our lives, on a daily basis, if we're not careful, do we not reject the king? You yeah. know, when the Holy Spirit leads us to do something, and if we're not careful, we reject the king. Well, when you reject the king, you're missing out on what the king is trying to get you to do. And... <clears throat> 99 times, 999 times out of 1,000, it's going to be a blessing to you uh, is what the reason God is leading you to do that, just to bring it down to home. So then the ultimate atomic bomb of all statements, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, as it should be. He's always trying to get them to pick his, his gospel, his... Um, I guess his mercy, his love, his compassion. He's trying to get them to choose basically salvation over this legalistic system. Choose grace over your legalism. Choose, um, choose my mercy over your pride and your merit. Um, and he's trying to get them always to choose that. And then the statement of all statements, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which is him saying, I'm the Lord. I'm God. Period. I'm God. It, it, this is probably second only to where he says, you know, I, I am. When, and, and when he, because when he told that to the, the scribes and Pharisees, that, that, I think it's in the scripture that that's when they left saying, we, we got to get rid of him. Yeah. You know, when, when he said, I, I am. I'm at the end of my notes, so <laughs> dive in anytime. It's like these guys following in entourage just waiting for Jesus to do something wrong. Right. You know, well, they did. Ready, ready, no, they're no ready doubt. to pounce. I know this sounds sacrilegious. It sounds like, like Donald Trump in this week or something. Oh, boy. You, Sorry. you just couldn't just, leave it. You couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't let it go. Couldn't ring that bell. <laughs> Shot call it. You know All what, right. though? I, in studying yeah, this. said Jesus is like Trump. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I heard. Send your emails, too. Yikes. Uh, I couldn't help but notice so much more in this how truly evil these leaders were. Like, and all the good Jesus kept doing, so full of compassion, so full of mercy. And then you can see they are just the opposite, so full of hate, so full of anger, so full of they just wanted him dead. And it starts, this is the turning of the tide. This is where... This would be a real... I'm sorry, go ahead, well, no, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, do you think, though, because they were so strict on God's word and they believed so much... 
in their own hearts, though, did they think they were stopping a false prophet? Did they, or was there something in them that believed that this is God and he's about to get us? Yeah. You know, I think it could possibly go either way. Yeah, I, I think at the first, maybe the first year or so, that maybe was in play. Because, you know, you've got Nicodemus and, and, and you've got Josephus. Right. And, and the, not Josephus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And, you know, these, these guys are believers, you know, yeah. at, the, at the end of the time that they become believers. And then Paul, of course, Paul right. come right out of this crowd. Yeah, he you held know. the coats right. of the men who so Stephen. Yeah. We've yep. really set the, a good backdrop for just a, just a real quick review in our mind of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is reconnecting the common person with a relationship with him. Right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? I, you know, they think about the rich in spirit being these scribes and Pharisees. We'll never be able to attain a relationship right. with God. And Jesus brings it right back to, to home to them. Blessed are they which mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And these guys are anything but any of those. Right. And, and Jesus is bringing back to them a real relationship with God. So you can start to see how that would if, be a huge... If your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see heaven. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that, that's... yeah. So someone asked a question, and they said maybe a dumb question. It is not a dumb question. It's a great one. Um, how did these Pharisees know any better if they didn't hear from God for 400 years and the Bible wasn't written yet? I can't help but think maybe I would have hesitated to believe Jesus too. What I was just thinking is... They did have all the Old Testament scriptures. They did Correct. have scriptures. And something that I tried to really drive home last year, last year when we studied this was they knew the prophecy. It wasn't, that wasn't unknown that they were waiting for a Messiah. And they had signs of it would be this, this, and this. And they had to be waiting. And, and then he arrives on the scene and they're like, nope. They rejected him. Well, yeah, and we touched on that last year. I don't know if this person who texted had listened to those, but we talked about even when he was born, and they said, send some wise men to check this out. If they didn't know the prophecy or things like that, so we've, we've been going over how they have followed Jesus through the course of his life. And Yeah, I, I think that, again, that, that's an excellent question. That's a great I, question. I, I, and I think we all would struggle if, if we're in that system. I mean, you know, peer pressure is real. And, and then, you know, you, you get involved and you climb the ladder. And before you know it, you know, you're Paul. You, you're a scribe of scribes. You're a Pharisee among Pharisees. And, and so you got everything going for you. And this upstart comes up and he's doing a few hat tricks and, and things of that nature. And you think, man, he's a threat to the whole system. He, he, he's he's, he's going to mess tear up all everything. This down. That's right. I, I got a life here. Right. This, this right here is where my life's goal and vision is, is going, and this guy's going to tear it up. I don't, yeah, they didn't want to give it up. They didn't no. want to give up, I mean, because they were the pinnacle of all of it. They, I mean, they were, you're right, they're holding it together. The, they I can't were, give this up. I'm too big of a deal. They were living for this earth for sure and not for heaven, Right. <laughs> best he, I can say. Here's the word that, that we use now. They were the establishment. They were Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. They were in charge, and 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 Don't they didn't all like each other. System. Just like right, uh, the like scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees—they all disagreed on major points, but they were in charge, and so they had that going for them. And so I, I, I but I do believe because John MacArthur says this because I always go back to my study on Matthew on this because he just went in depths of the whole system thing. They got to a point that it was just right here in front of them. There's just no denying right. this guy is the son of God. But they made a decision. Not for me, he ain't. And, Not and that, for me. That uh, 400 years of silence that we're talking about, somewhere along the line they made that decision right. that, that it's going to be about me and what I have in right. charge, what my basket is. Because Jesus is send, giving them Old Testament verses. Right. He's taking right. things that they should have. Have you not read? From five, 600 years ago. Yes, these are things that you should know. And when we talk about the God of the Old Testament doesn't sound anything like the God of the New Testament. Yes, he does, because Jesus continually calls uh, verses out of the Old Testament. And when they ask him what That's the... That's all he preached out of. <laughs> yes, yeah, all he had. <laughs> Uh, they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He gave him the love commandments. Those were taken the from Shema. the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, so it's the same God in both Testaments. And somewhere between, the man tried to horn in on, on God's 
territory. I just, uh, one of those, uh, it feels like a dumb question, but when Jesus was standing on the temple with Satan, Satan says, cast yourself off. And Jesus says, though, is it not written that thou shalt not, you know, mm-hmm. was anything guy. written yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and, and he didn't say, is it not? He said, it is written. It, it is written. Okay, okay. It, it That's is what written. I, okay. Because uh, he... And, and that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other study. Angels but, so he will not strike his right. Uh, he, he right. Re- so he was referring to Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. We'll stop there. We have a third topic, as we usually do, that we only have a few minutes to dive into, um, but we'll give it our best shot. Um, so Ben, I'll let you set this up. Um, this was an article that he read on the number one mistake leaders make, um, and we're going to approach this not just leader of a organization, but your leaders in your home, your leaders in your church, hopefully, your leaders, uh, you're a leader in some respect, um, regardless of if you think you are or not. So yeah. let, let me just throw this in. Uh, Larry had sent in. They were also afraid that if it was the Christ, it might make a problem for their life because it could have divided them and, and Rome might attack. So that, that's a good point as well. Uh, so I sent this um, article, and I'm going to find it here real quick. Uh, the one thing to avoid... Uh, as a leader, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a little insight uh, to Pastor Ben, Brother Ben, whatever you call me, hey you, uh, if there is an area of my ministry that I struggle with insecurity, because I'm generally a positive, confident, secure guy type thing, that can also be a fault, um, I, it's, it's probably in the leadership area, for one reason or another, and so when I started reading this article, I'm like, oh, oh no, yeah, uh, oh no, it's gonna blast me. I'm gonna need my steel toe. Right, 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 right. Yeah, do I really want to read this? You know, <laughs> and so, but it got down. It just said I could not wait for that. Uh, he tells the story about, and, and I re- referenced this last week about when you go to a seminar or a conference or a preaching thing, the guy will inevitably say, "Turn to the person say on your right and say so and so." He was at a conference where nobody turned to him and said anything. And the guy said, find somebody and say this to Nobody addressed him at all. And he's just sitting there watching everybody else, you know, talk to each other. Awkward. Awkward, right. And he felt terrible. So he said, I could not wait for that interminable moment to be over and discovered this one thing we should always avoid. Do not leave people hanging. Do not leave people hanging. Well... Again, me going at this article with my insecurities on leadership, my first thought was, oh, my goodness, I do that all the time. You know, somebody will say, hey, Brother Ben, can you do this for me? Or, hey, Brother Ben, let's get together and talk. And before you know it, three weeks have passed. And Tom, I've treated Tom the worst. I think, what was it, eight months before we got together one time? <laughs> it, it got so bad, I started giving him, like, a three-week buffer. Yeah. That if I sent him something, because I'm my insecurity is if I send you a text and I don't hear back in 13 seconds, I have wronged you in some way. <laughs> So it's like I was texting him so much. I was like, okay, it's been like, 21 days. I'm like, talk about this right I'd now? Instead of a new text, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's not what this article is about. But he noticed it. Amen. No, so absolutely, it. absolutely. Our article, th- this article is essentially about making people feel welcome at church. And, and I think that's good. I, I, I think it's something that we should talk about occasionally. And so uh, don't leave people hanging. Are you a friendly church? Uh, are you a friendly church just because you shake the hands of everyone you know during meet and greet time? No, because you're only shaking the hands of people that you know. You're not going out and finding those faces that you don't recognize and such. So this is the, the phrase that he's teaching us here in this article. If you are here, I am here. If you are here, I am here. So in other words, I'm going to recognize you. Now, let me just throw this in real quick. Uh, y'all know about Robert Pold. Robert Pold, uh, three years diagnosed brain tumor. Uh, essentially, he's holding his own, but sooner or later, the doctors fully expect for this brain tumor to take over, and it's going to be bad. With that said, uh, he got saved about four weeks ago. We baptized him Sunday. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Amen. But we were sitting out there, just me and him, talking, and I said, do you ever get tired of people asking you how you're doing? <laughs> And he's like, eh. he said, I know what they're trying to say. I know what they're trying to do. So I, I try not to even think about that. 
He said, but yeah. And he said, honestly, a better response is, and before he even got it out, I knew what he was going to say. Good to see you. Yeah, amen. Good to see you. Because church, I mean, come on now. If you're, you got a brain tumor, how are you doing? Right. Terrible. That's like we just went Every to a visitation day. the other day, and everyone shakes your hand. How you doing? And you're staring at somebody laying in a casket. Right. I, I answer considering. Yeah, there you go. You know? Now, now with that said, we're not trying to beat up on people, you know, because you're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of habit. And I told him that. I said, Robert, when I do it, it's because it's a habit. Hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, that's a habit. And then once I think about it, oh, never mind, scratch that. <laughs> Good to see you. You know, and, and so, you know, you're allowed to be human. Okay, so, so we're not trying to get on to anybody as much as if we will stop and think, it's extremely important for us to make an effort to every new face, to every person when you get right down to it, and be sure that they know. If you're here, I'm here. I, I, I'm on your team. I, I, I'm on your team. It's extremely important for us to do that. Successful church growth will always follow uh, a church's attention to new people and regulars. So there's a balance of you making the regulars feel like they're still, you know, we, do, we, don't, we don't just discount the fact that you're here. Oh, yeah, that's old Joe. He's always going to come whether we like it or not. No, we, we, we don't take that approach. We, we got to have every person here and involved, but we certainly want, because think about it. When you were new, it was a little bit of an anxious time, you know, and, and, and I, I, when I go and I'm a new person at a church, I always, I'm always judging that church, and not in a bad way. I'm trying to see how well scoring do they make. Them. I'm scoring them. That's a good word. I'm scoring them. And some churches do great, and some churches not so well. Now, watch this. And it's not always a given if it's a big church. I think it's even more difficult if it is a big church. Because when you get into a big church, you can just kind of meld in, and you know nobody notices, and it's all good. Well, but if you're really trying to discover if this is where the Holy Spirit wants you, you want people to notice you. You want people to, to say, hey, you're here, man. I'm here too. What's your name? You know, and the such. Um, the Pharisee asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The answer is anyone in need. And if someone is visiting your church, they're in need to mm -hmm. some level. Uh, so anyway... I've got more, but I'll let y'all go. Anyone you may need, find yourself in need of. Right. That's kind of what the response was. Right. Anybody you might find yourself in need of, think about in reverse. And uh, put put a little more pressure on you. When, whatever you do for, to someone else, if you're lo loving and caring for somebody else, it's like you're doing it to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. In this, in this area, making somebody feel welcome in God's house, I think is premium. It's premium. Uh, important. Uh, and so much as it that you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. When you went to visit somebody who was in sick or went to prison, when they couldn't come to church, when somebody was sitting in church waiting for somebody to talk to him, you went and talked to him. I think that's going to list too. That would make the list too. In so much as you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. Did we talk about spirit? You talked about spiritual maturity from the pulpit, right? Um, I guess it was last week, and I think that's one of the keys of growth you should see in yourself is you don't get offended if Pastor Ben, Brother Ben, blows by you 100 miles an hour and you've been going to this church for nine, ten, because I've, I've heard it. I've had it. You know, it's like you're like, oh, oh, right. oh, you know. And I think the spiritual maturity is when you think about it, I spoke with a woman that was a little upset about that. She didn't feel like anybody cared she was here. And unfortunately, it was she was talking about you. Sure. You were busy. And I said, you know what he did today? And it was like one of those days you had a funeral, you had two hospital visits, and it was just one of your, Sure. we have a wonderful pastor that works 24-7. Amen. And when I explained that, she's like, wow. I said, because I was there. Right. I said, you know, it's not about you always, you know? And it's like, so I think with the spiritual maturity, I said, you need to look, look around you. Amen. A a amen. And, and I'll say this too. I, I appreciate it when a person will chase me down right. if they need me. You know what I'm saying? But because nine times out of ten, if I am, quote, unquote, blowing by you, I'm going to try to chase somebody down who is a new member or, or you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, uh, because we're all capable of sending that message. 
Right. We, we really are. And, and, and I'm aware of it. And I, one of my struggles is, um, especially right after church, somebody will be talking to me, and a person that I really do need, I feel like, to talk right. to is walking behind them, and I'm not listening to this person, you know, because I'm trying to figure out how I can get to them and, and make a connection. So what I've learned to do is just say, can you give me a second? And I'll run and, and do that, and I'll come back. Um, and a couple times anymore, and, and let me just say this, guys. I think Adrian Rogers had it the best, but let's face it, he pastored a church of 3,000. But Adrian Rogers would go to a greeting room. And he was not the guy that shook your hand as you left. He was in the greeting room, and every new person or any person that had a need could go to that greeting room, and he would talk to them there and just remove him from that gauntlet. You know, genius. Of course, genius. genius. It's almost like he the got guy in knew a boat what he was and doing. Floated out on the water. <laughs> That's right. That's I, right. I heard a great quote. I know we're probably getting ready to close up. But listen as if you're not waiting on your turn to speak. There you Ooh, go. That is a good one. So he asked these questions. Who could you use? Who could use a kind word from you? To whom should you write a note? Who requires a longer letter? And what aging relative would enjoy a phone call? Amen. Good stuff. Thanks, right. guys. Love you. Next.